Crimson Tower Studios. The Empire is the greatest nation of the old world, a testament to the resilience, ingenuity, and industry of its people. Over 2,500 years ago, Sigmar Heldenhammer, as the founder of the Empire, withstood the scourge of chaos incursion, green-skinned invaders, united the warring tribes, and forged them into one mighty nation. The tribal lands became the grand provinces, each one ruled by an elector count. Could you be the elector count to take the crown and bring stability to the empire once more? It's a game of civil war, deception, brutality, and luck, where the fate of a nation lies in your hands. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. This is a bonus episode. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight by I am joined by the two best gamers this side of the Great Pond, Steve and Matt. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? Or I guess I should say this morning, we're recording early. Quite early, in fact. That's that's uh, A-OK by me. I'm doing uh, quite well today, Lance. How are you doing? Uh, living the dream. How about you, Steve? Yeah. Well, I'm sipping coffee from an old world podcast mug I got. Oh. Uh, so, no, things are doing well. Um, it's morning. I am awake at this time. I <laughs> feel it feeling good. Let's do this. Let's do this. Well, tonight's show is a bonus episode, as we mentioned before. So we're not going to do any of the news or anything other special. We're going to dig right in. And so on that, let's talk about the uh, main topic of tonight's show. For tonight's bonus episode, we're going to be reviewing the recently released Electric Counts card game. We have done several rounds of playtesting on this. We've spent some not-so-insignificant time talking about and testing rules and putting everything together so that we can give you our thoughts on this this uh, unique card game. Um, so, Old Worlders, prepare your armies for battle and take care that you don't overextend yourself too early in your bid to become the Emperor or Empress as we review the Electric Counts card game on this morning's very special bonus episode of the Old World Podcast. What is Electric Counts? Uh, this is Warhammer's fantasy card game. It's got, the, of course, the Warhammer theme. We got artwork. We'll talk about the artwork later, but it, it does have a lot of artwork that you might recognize if you're a Emmer fan. Kind of the primary objective is area control. Of course, influence based off of the lands. And uh, the one that has the most victory points at the end will win. But this is all about managing your hand. Uh, your hand will change and switch at your plan, so it's always kind of like a random Warhammer. You never know what you might get as your next hand uh, when it's your turn. You can also, uh, you know, speak with your opponents. I mean, this is Electric Counts, right? This is kind mm -hmm. of, you are all vying uh, to be the Empire, so a backstabbing and cooperation is allowed <laughs> it can be up to two to four players the games depending on like the hand you get the hand you're dealt the randomness how how well versed you are and how many players the game usually lasts from like 20 to 40 minutes so it's gonna be real short or not super long but it does play through very quickly especially especially um, with two players i'll say that with two players oh yeah, yeah it yeah. goes very that can quick be done mm -hmm. real fast 
Um, it is for ages 13 plus. Definitely, I, I I think younger folks could play it. Of course. Yeah, I agree. Um, overall, like per game wise, it's maybe like a medium medium complexity, and I just say that because there's different random cards like attack cards, defender cards, support <laughs> cards. And and the support cards are all pretty much different from different angles of tactics on how you want to do it. So the complexity can be as low as as high as you want it to be um, for this. Um, but that pretty much is the electric counts in a short wrap up version of what the game is. Okay, so what the electric counts is not is it's not an expansion of any kind for Wolfram. Yeah. So this is a standalone game. It, it you don't need any prior Warhammer knowledge in order to play it, which is proof because the groups that I played it with have no knowledge of Warhammer whatsoever. So, yeah, uh, you can go into this with pretty much anybody, and they should be able to to get into it and understand it uh, without any sort of prior knowledge, which is good. Absolutely. And uh, just so you know, what's in the box? You get 112 cards, 96 cardboard game tokens. Uh, nine-page instruction manual, and there's also a player aid card, which is more of just like a almost like a laminated little piece of paper that has like a the like a, short version of the rules on it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, d- double-sided goes over some of the <clears throat> basics. Um, it's actually it, it's as far as uh, player aids go, I find it pretty helpful to have this out on the table. Yeah. So now I uh, now we. Matt, before you dive in, I did want to say, uh, so we plan to go over the rules here in brief from a high level. Um, We're not going to go step by step through all of the rules. um, So there are definitely uh, playthroughs and stuff online where you can find that if you're looking for it. But uh, Matt is going to go through here and just give a a high level overview of the rules. And once we're done with that, we're going to dig in and let you know what we think, what's good, what's bad, um, and give our general thoughts on that. So if you're looking for something a little more in, intensive, you know, there there are sources. Cubicle 7 has a couple articles on how to play. I know Geek Dad put an article that very clearly kind of lays out the gameplay. Um, and, of course, you know, getting the rule book is a good way to do that, too. So, uh, But having said all that, Matt, you want to take us through the rules? Yes, sir. So in the Electric Counts card game, two to four players take on the roles of competing Electric Counts embroiled in a bitter civil war to seize the throne of mankind's greatest empire. But stealing the crown is no easy task. The Elector Counts will need to raise their myriad armies, lay siege to opposing Counts' lands, and defend their own in fierce conflicts to emerge victorious. The basis of the game, the cards that come with the game, four of them are starting location cards. One of them is a special endgame card. The rest are shuffled together to be your primary deck. So this deck of cards is comprised of location cards, attackers, defenders, and support. So what you're going to be doing in this game is playing location cards out in front of you. Those are going to show uh, different areas that can be that you can defend and that can be sieged by other players. Each one of these cards has a number of victory points up in the top right corner. Outside of the starting cards, the rest will also have a value on the top left, which is a number of shillings that you'll get that can be used in a couple different ways. As you're playing... When it's your turn, you get to take a number of actions based on the cards in your hand. To start the game based on player count, everyone is going to have between five and seven cards in their hand, except for there's one little tweak to that. The player to the right of the person who uh, deals the cards out has three fewer cards in their hand than the rest of the players, and we'll get to why that's important here in a minute. 
So when it's your turn, you're going to play these cards out. Uh, a number of cards uh, until you have three cards that are left in your hand. So attack cards, you're going to play on other players' lands as you are trying to uh, lay siege to those lands and ultimately gain control of them. You have defender cards that you will play down in front of uh, your lands to help defend them from other players' attacks. And then support cards do a variety of different things. Uh, some will uh, let you earn more of the uh, shillings, which shillings are used to purchase more cards. When I say purchase, I basically mean just draw more cards off the top of the deck. Uh, some will let you just like take out other uh, attackers, reveal uh, you know the defense that people are playing. Uh, there's a variety of different things, but those are all unique, and they all have text on there that explains exactly how they work. So when it's your turn, you're going to play those cards until you have three left. And at the end of your turn, you're going to take those last three cards that you're holding and pass them to the player on your right. So you're giving cards from your hand to the player on your right that they will then have for their turn. At which point you draw reinforcements, which is also based on player count. And that's the, the basic turn. As you're playing cards, the... Uh, the, the bulk of the game is going to come down to these conflicts. So a conflict is when any single location has both an attacker and a defender. When that happens, you flip over both cards. Sometimes there may be more with attackers. You, uh, the attacker cards, they have to have the exact same name in order to play them, or they have to have an ally keyword. Uh, whereas defenders cannot have the same name. You can play multiple to a single location. Once there's one, one or more attackers and one or more defenders at a single location, you flip them over, and then you compare their values. So the attacker cards have, uh, they say attacker across the bottom, so you know that's what it is. It's got a red background. There's a value up in the top left that shows the strength of that card. And then some of them will also have uh, text that say they may have specific abilities. There are some that will let you uh, ally with other attacker cards. There's some that will let you um, gain uh, shillings just by playing the card. And there's some that have full, you know, special abilities and powers that are uh, listed on the card. So, but the basic thing you do is you compare the values in the top left of the attacker card uh, to the value in the top left of the defender card. And you see who wins the conflict. If the attacker has uh, a higher attack than the defense, then the attacker wins. If the defender has equal to the attacker or higher than the defender wins. When an attacker wins, you have to discard the defense cards. Uh, if there's multiple, you may have to discard some, but you never have to discard more defense of uh, value and defense than what the attacker has. And at which point the attacker now has control of that land. And that means that if uh, the game were to end right then, then even though the the person has a the land card in front of them, whoever is laying siege to that land is the one that scores the points. So you want to try to have uh, successfully siege lands from multiple players uh, to, to obviously earn more points. If the defender wins, then you discard both the attacker and the defender card, and you get to put out a special fortification token on your land. That means that it is uh, defended, and in order for that token to get removed, somebody basically has to attack it, and that attack is an immediate fail. They discard their card, but that also means that the fortification comes off. So you're going to keep taking turns, going around until one player ha successfully has either five siege tokens out, which is when they are uh, successfully attacking other players' lands. Uh, one player has five fortifications, which means their lands are uh, extremely well defended, 
or if one player has a total of eight tokens across uh, the two different types. Uh, at that point, the end of the game is triggered. When that happens, you still continue to play until uh, nobody can continue to take actions. You can also trigger the end of the game by revealing the end of game card, which is uh, 20 cards up from the bottom of the deck. And that, uh, that also triggers the end game where you continue to play, but uh, the rules are just a little bit different there in the end. The shillings, which everybody starts with a couple shillings. You also gain them anytime you play location cards or any card that says uh, earn on it or steal, which are some of the keywords. And you can spend four shillings in order to purchase more cards uh, from the, the deck drawn, like I mentioned earlier. You also have the ability to reserve up to two cards, which basically it's not any sort of like special action or anything. You just put them off to the side face down and that's you're basically just saving those cards for later they still count uh or technically are are similar to any card that you have in your hand but you can keep them off to try to like save up to have a, a combo together a few cards to have a better action keeping in mind that no matter what at the end of your turn you must have three cards that you can pass to the player on your right so once the game is finished then you're going to tally up your score your score is going to be the Skull value on all of the lands that you control that are not currently being sieged by other players, as well as points for all of the other players' lands that you are successfully sieging. Yeah. At that point, whoever has the most skulls is the winner. I think as far as the basis of the game, that pretty much covers it. Is there anything else you guys can think of that you want to add? I don't think so. I know we're going to talk a little bit about our, our thoughts on everything on this as we dig in. But one thing I did want to point out is that it can be very, very confusing if you've never had a mechanic like this where you're passing cards to your right while at the same time your play is passing to your left. Um, so the right. next, especially when you have more than two players, right, you're, you're, the next person to go is not the person you're giving your cards to. And there is some strategy in that we can talk about that um but it can be a little confusing i think that was the the first one i was like wait th is that a typo then but no it's not that's intentional yep yep exactly so you're you're passing those cards to the player on your right and then play passes to the player on your left so why don't we go ahead and get into because that is something i definitely want to talk about uh let's go ahead and get into some of our thoughts on the game I just want to start off by saying that I, when I, I mentioned to my uh, gamer group about this game, one of the first things they did was look, uh, just look into the game briefly on Board Game Geek, which is a website that is like a one-stop shop for everything board game related. And Absolutely. they saw that this was designed by Martin Wallace. Martin Wallace is a an extremely well-known game designer. So it, it comes with... A significant amount of like design cred just knowing that it comes from him he's been designing games since the early 90s he has 132 listed items on bgg including a handful of like the top games that have ever been made brass age of steam railways of the world disc world i mean he he's very well known and very good at what he does so that that is definitely something that is uh in the positive column as far as this game is concerned and this is why Matt is like our resident board games expert, right? Because Matt looks at, picks up a, a board game and goes, hmm, who was this designed by? I pick up the board game and go, ooh, that's a pretty co cover. What what could this be about? 
<laughs> hey, that's that's good enough sometimes, though, man. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a, a cover of a game that looks really cool and been like, okay, I have to buy that. In fact, yep. this is a short aside. One of the first board games that I ever bought without any previous knowledge of whatsoever, and I bought solely on the cover art, is a game called Red November that came out from oh, yeah. Fantasy Flight Games forever ago. And you play as... Is that the su- that's a submarine one with gnomes? It's a cooperative game where you play as yeah. gnomes, drunken gnomes, <laughs> like trying to manage all these disasters that are happening on a submarine at the same time. There's fires going off. There's a nuclear warhead that somehow got primed and is going to go off. There's water getting in. There's a sea monster outside. And you have like a little dial and you keep track of how drunk your gnome is. <laughs> anyway, I forgot about that game. I, oh, it's it's really cool. And is that in production I mean, anymore? I don't think so. Actually, it's it's that to me. Yeah, that's a perfect game a to do a like a second revamp. Get those rules tighter because I feel like that one had a, a couple of rules that like really needed tightening up. Um, yeah. But like, if they could tighten that up and release a new version, I would buy it immediately. Yeah, that's just a great example of uh, a great example and the first example in my memory, at least of. When I looked at a game and was like, all right, that looks cool. I'm just going to buy it. At the same token, I've also seen games that don't look as good, but I, I know the designer and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot because I trust that designer that they know what they're doing and they're not going to put out a bad game. And it, I mean, sometimes you get a dud, but for the most part, you know. Right. Well, it's, it's just, I always compare board game designers to your favorite like directors in, in the movie industry. That yeah. If you like Quentin Tarantino, there's a really, really good chance you're going to like uh, his new movie. Right. Right. If you really like Martin Scorsese's stuff, the next time Martin Scorsese puts out a movie, you're like, I'm going to see that because I know he does good work. And that's, I, I feel the same about board games in a lot of ways. Awesome. Well, and since we're talking about like, you know, the way the game box looks and cover art and stuff too, I want to say, I mean, so the physical product, when you get this like game, if you buy this game and it gets shipped here or whatever, if you don't have a chance to pick it up in the store, it's a nice solid box. Um, it, It's not coming. I've gotten card games before that are in like flimsy boxes that you can never get the, uh. the cards to fit in once you open it that first time. That is not the case here. There's plenty of extra space in this box. They actually give you, I think, like five plastic baggies to put like tokens or cards in, however you'd like to. And uh, there's plenty of extra space in here. So should there ever be an expansion, I have like zero concerns that they wouldn't be able to fit into this box. So I did want to point that out. And the box is solid. It's the same kind of material and cover and stuff they use for like their starter set boxes, which are which are pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, it's like six by nine inches, approximately yeah. maybe two inches deep. Let's so, let's dig in a little bit deeper on a couple things. Let's let's talk about components first. So there's not a whole lot of components here, uh, as you said, Lance. There's a little over uh, there's 96 cards, a bunch of tokens, uh, and that's basically it. How do you guys feel about the card quality on here? Card quality is excellent, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, I mean, we're talking about great artwork. That that. Like, like I said, if you're a true Warhammer fan, you recognize some of these pictures. Some of them I've never seen, but they're great. Um, I love how the starting locations are literally um, the books, the city location books that they've come like out the with. Cover, the cover art from them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. four starting locations are Altdorf, Middenheim, Salzemund, and Ubersreich. So 
Uh, any Wolfrop Fourth Edition fans, those are all going to sound real familiar. Yep, and and it's from the fourth, and all of that artwork is like the cover artwork for these for these books, um, and they they're they're beautiful pieces of artwork. Um, and something else I want to just going back to card quality. Just I mean, so you know, so like there are to me there are like there are probably ten levels of card quality, but this is definitely in the top like three or four. The only cards that I've ever had that are like a higher quality than this are Final Fantasy's trading card game. Those cards are thick and intense, very high quality. These aren't quite to that level, but they are very good. They're they're definitely better than your, you know, they're 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 at least to the standard of normal card game yeah. cards, I would say, yeah. if not higher. Yeah, they don't have a linen finish, uh, right. which, I mean, that's not a huge deal uh, to me at all, at least. But uh, they are super nice. I've got no complaints. Yep. I've shuffled the bejesus out of these cards I don't know how many mm-hmm. times, and there's no yep. – like, uh, they're, they're fine. And the artwork on the cards is beautiful, like you said. Um, the layout on the cards is nice. You you know, all of the attackers, all of the defenders are, are similar in their graphic design. So it makes the, yeah. the usability of it really – And really color. Convenient. You mentioned that. So color is another thing. It is easy just from a glance because of color to tell whether the card is in a defender, an attacker, or a support card. Um, yep. And, and they all follow. So that's one thing. It is not difficult to identify in your hand what you got at a very brief glance. And the other thing, too, artwork, is we're talking about artwork, the artwork is a mixture. Um, so Steve and I immediately recognize several of these pieces. A lot of this artwork comes from, like, older editions of the Warm of Fantasy Battles games. And I'm talking, like, 5th edition, um, you know, uh, some some really good pieces there. Like, um, one of, like, the mercenary pieces uh, was artwork from the cover of the uh, Dogs of War the Talan, um, yeah, the Talan, yeah, 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 yep. There's yeah. there's some really good pieces, and they're they're very so they're put on these cards. They're beautiful, um, and so it's just it's in the some way all the artwork has been good and okay. very Warhammery, but they use some old pieces and new pieces. Um, there are pieces that we've seen come out for the Warmer uh, Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition. Um, besides those cover art pieces that we've seen that have been in there, um, even the uh, like the Elector Counts. Uh, you know, piece itself is just beautiful, gorgeous art. So I, I just wanted to mention it's so to be clear, I think there are some new pieces. There are, let me put it this way. There are pieces of art that I don't recall ever seeing anywhere else other than this card game. So I think there are some unique pieces, but um, you do get a plethora of good artwork that encapsulates both older and newer pieces. Yeah, I, I definitely, as I was going through it, I don't have the same kind of history in Warhammer as you guys have, but some of these had a real, I played Battlemasters, the huge, like, vinyl mat floor game with uh, the little bases that you'd put the, other, I mean, they're miniatures, but they were huge, uh-huh. uh, battle game with my brother, and some of this artwork, like, I... I can't say for sure that I've seen those before, but they look super similar to that kind of era of artwork for games. Yeah. I also really like that the the locations are full art. So the attack, defense, and support cards all have a frame around to help make sure that like all the different keywords and text and everything on there is really easy to see. The uh, location cards are full art edge-to-edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the name of the location at the bottom, and then the shilling value and the the score value at the top. 
Uh, and they, they look really great too. Yeah. Like my favorite piece, the gray mountain fastness that comes straight out of the fourth edition core rule book in the beginning with that, that yep. snowy uh, tower. Mm-hmm. I, one yeah. of my favorite artwork pieces. Right away. Yeah. Yep. That I mean, I remember I was drooling over that piece the day we got that, the PDF I was and uh, I just love that piece of art. So anyway, artwork's good. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, a, about I, I would say half the locations, maybe a little bit less, actually have, you know, you know, the artwork with the starting set characters in them. So like the busy coaching in, you know, has them in the end, has yeah. you know, some different ones. One <laughs> of my favorite ones where uh, the windmill in the background's on fire. Yes, yeah, for the, for the vulgar gland fields. Yeah, good, I'm pretty good sure. Stuff. The Forbidding Riverside Fortress. Is that the cover of Death on the Reich or Am I Crazy? It's Death on the Reich Companion, I think. Companion, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So all in all, I mean, I I, I have no complaints about the art on these cards. I really like the fact that it's a mix of new and old. Um, That is definitely a huge positive uh, as far as I'm concerned with this game. The only other component really of note are the tokens. So there's a bunch of different tokens. Each player is going to have seven siege tokens which is a round like shilling size token that has uh, a player color on it the siege tokens have crossed swords they're also going to have fortification tokens that is uh the same size but as a shield and then there are shillings as well which i'm pretty sure all these are are the either the same or very similar to the starting set tokens uh yeah they i same kind of punch board stuff they uh, and I, I did want to mention all the tokens in this game are all the same size. There's no size difference between any of the tokens. The only difference is what's printed on the tokens. Um, and I see, and it's hard because I mean, these things are what the size of a dime in the United States, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you know what that is, listeners. So, and yeah. I, I don't know all the world's currencies, so it's hard for me to. It's what they're like half an small. inch. Yeah, they're pretty yeah, small. Pretty small. Yeah. Um, I will say that this is uh, one minor critique I have of the game is that the fact that those tokens are all the same makes it really hard to tell, uh, especially in a, a four-player game where you've got players sitting all around a table, how many shillings other players have, which all of it's open information. And specifically, the siege tokens have a ring around the outside that is the player color and then the cross swords in the middle. But if in like a low light situation or if there's, you know, shadows cast on your table in our four player game, we found it kind of hard to at a glance, look at the state of the table and see who was in what position, because the number of those tokens being out is hugely important. If you have, (laughs) you know, if one player has four on the table, they're only one, uh one away from triggering the end of the game. Um, Yeah. And if you can't see that at a glance, that, you know, it could be a little bit more tricky for my personal preference. Like a wood disc would have been real nice. That's just a solid color because at all you have to do is just an immediate glance at the table. You can count who has what as opposed to like really having to take a second and look. And if you've got a table, that's, you know, more than a few feet wide looking across to try to count who has how many tokens out, it can be a little bit of a chore. Yeah. We also found that we would like, when you'd give a siege token back to somebody, you'd, you'd, you know, toss it back over to them. Uh, and if it got like, if it landed in the pile of shillings, like you'd have to dig through to find it. Cause they, they really are all the same size. They all look, they have that like metal coin kind of uh sheen to them. 
So that's that's a bit of a complaint for me. It's not huge. Uh, in our two-player games of this, I didn't find it to be a problem at all because you're, you know, you've got that focus where there's only one opponent, yeah. but when you go up to that higher player count, it it got a little tricky. So if you're using 20 watt light bulbs, <laughs> get 60. Yeah. Um, upgrade light bulbs. <laughs> So one of the things I know we all want to talk about this and I have I have a lot of thoughts on this is Warhammer theme and and what does it mean to play this game with Warhammer? I know Matt and Steve you both oh, yeah. have some thoughts on this. Steve, do you want to kick us off and then I I'd like to hear if you want to start. Okay. So right now we're just talking about the theme, right? Yeah, yeah. Does, so like does, does this does game make you feel Warhammer when you're playing? Oh, heck, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about this later. I, I only got a chance to play two player games, and last that was with you. Yep. And man, I felt like an electric count, and it, it was just—it's awesome the back and forth because you're dealing with randomness. But yeah, yeah, very Warhammer-y. It, it was just—I love the randomness with the support cards because you never know what you might get. You might spend the four shillings to get a card just as by chance to win, and you might get lucky. Um, it's just awesome. Um, it's a back and forth with the attacking. Like, we had locations where, you know, they got retaken over like four or five times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, it did put me in the theme of I'm trying to take over these lands, and so is my opponent, and trickery or just through brute force. It was fun. So, Matt? I, I think you might have an opposite take on this. Yeah, I, I'm on the... And I some of that might have to do with, like, again, my history with Warhammer. But I, I, I'm i on the, the total opposite side. I don't feel like this game has a theme at all. Like, if, in the, like if you took the card art off and the names of the cards off of there, you could replace it with pretty much anything and the game would be the same. Right, there's nothing that is unique about this game other than the card art and the names on the cards that make it feel like Warhammer. You know, you, this, these could be, you know, the locations could be gardens in a neighborhood, and you could be playing bunny attackers and dog defenders or something. It needed, like, for this to really feel like Warhammer, it needed to feel more dark and grimy and grim. And you just don't, you don't, I don't, I didn't get that from it. And I think it's proven it, by the fact that this, this is not a, an original game. This is a re-theme of the Doctor Who card game. And I have that game as well. I did a, a pretty laborious comparison of components. Yeah, he did. And he sent me pictures. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we uh, were, I was like, dang, that, that is very... Like I, yeah, I basically went like card for card and to see what differences were there were between the games, uh, and outside of a couple minor things here and there, it's it's an identical game. So for me, theme, I need to I need to really feel like I am in that world more than just the fact that it's you know a card game where you're you're playing cards to take control of locations. This could have a a World War II theme. It could have a you know like I said a, a kids playing on the playground, you know, who's, who's gaining control of what, you know, which slide or the basketball hoops or something, uh, which isn't, let me preface that to, and say that that does not mean that it's a bad game. 
like the with the artwork and everything and uh, and some of the other stuff that's on there like it does it does it has a warhammer look and that can be enough to like pull you into it but as far as it truly feeling like you're having an experience in the old world it's it's not there so that's so again not not a big negative but that's where how i feel and and i'm i'm in between uh i i want to jump in here and say i'm in between uh but before i say that steve did you I think you were trying to say something. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say real quick that, that with card games, like I don't expect them to be like super themey as like actual board games where you can really get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like with card games, I mean, there's, there's really only so much you can do. Oh, um, sure. For sure. Yeah. You, you don't, no matter what, they're going to have numbers on cards, a picture, some descriptive names and, and, you know, the comparison with a doctor who, you know, it's, you know, it's it's just with 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 me. I could get into it because, like, I'm a Warhammer fan. I know the artwork. I know kind of the the mercenaries, uh, the the support cards, what's going on. So I can put myself in that Warhammer theme mindset. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. But but I can easily see where we might want more. But in the end, it's just a card game, and we don't have so, like miniatures or right. Or like Spells, big, big um, player, player powers, or like fate points, you know, or yeah. customizable, you know, player that you have and you have cards. It's yeah. just not going to be there. So I, I want to say I think you're both right in this, and I'm in between. Uh, so here's the thing: I do think that the theme is both weak and strong. Um, and by that I mean, so like, do I feel like an elector count being sneaky? and creating and ending alliances and backstabbing and potentially dealing with the powers of chaos to get my way. Uh, No, I don't feel like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Do I feel like an elector count that's like fielding gigantic armies? Like I'm in the time of the three emperors um, and I'm vying for control of provinces in the great cities to establish myself as a true, uh, you know, emperor of, of mankind. No, I don't feel like that either, but do I feel like I'm using like politics and putting my armies and taking, you know, different cities and towns to, you know, potentially like make sure that I am in the most powerful position to get the crown, you know, during secession? Yes, I do. I feel like that theme can fit both ways, but, um, to a point, if you're looking for a, like a grim, gritty, dark Warhammer game, this is not that. Um, however, if you're looking for something that's like quick and fun and gets the Warhammer theme at least at a surface level, where like I'm playing Warhammer, it's a quick, fun card game. Um, then yeah, this does have that theme. Um, and I think so. I think it fits. So I think this is one of those situations where this game's mechanics were not designed for Warhammer. However, the game's mechanics can fit certain aspects of the Warhammer feel. And I think that's the difference, right? And so at the end of the day, I think that um, that it's it's what I would call like an okay theme for, for Warhammer. It's not in, like if, like I said, you're looking for that grim, dark, gritty, you know, Warhammer card game. That's not what this is. But it doesn't fail either, in my opinion. Like yeah. it succeeds, but it doesn't. It doesn't knock it out of the park. But one of the benefits of this situation is, like, you really truly don't have to know anything about what an yeah. elector count is, 
or yep. what the province of the Reichland is. You don't need to know any of that <laughs> stuff. If I know nothing about Warhammer and I was in a game store and I just bought this off the shelf and I went and sat down and played it with my friends for a couple hours, it would be it would be fine. It, I wouldn't be yep. missing out on some core enjoyment factor because I don't understand or know what Warhammer is. Yeah, that's a that's yep. an excellent way of of looking at it, Lance. I I completely agree. Yeah, well said. That, that so we're I, all yeah, right. It doesn't it doesn't <laughs> fail. We anyway. can all be right. Yeah, it it, it doesn't fail in any way. Um, but it also it, is what like, it is. It doesn't succeed fun in an overwhelming way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about one of the the real like key elements I think that sets this game apart, and that is how you are passing cards to the player. Mm-hmm. On your yeah, game. yeah. And oh yeah. I think that this is going to come into one of our core review points of this game, and that is that that is going to feel dramatically different, dramatically different based on the player count. In yeah. a four-player game, right? You're you're passing three cards to the player on your right, which means you pass those. That's the end of your turn. The The next player in turn order is going to take their turn. Next player in turn order is going to take their turn. And then finally the player that you pass those cards to is going to take their turn. So there's a lot that can change on the state of the board between when you pass those cards to that player and then when they get a chance to play them. I feel like that, brings the tactics and the strategy down a peg because in a two-player game, for example, you are passing three cards to a player that they will then immediately be able to use and gives you a lot more of an ability to try to set up a, like, some <clears throat> some intrigue with, like, you know, some brinksmanship for, am I going to, I pass a card you know, that's a strong attacker. Well, are they going to assume like, oh, well, I can use this card to attack this location. Well, maybe I have a special card at that location that will counter the attack card that they're playing. And you lose some of that by the fact that in a four-player game, you have to wait so long before those cards are being used. You would be surprised in a two-player game when you have to make that choice of giving three cards to your opponents and they're your only opponents and you have great cards in your hand. Yeah. It can be brutal choice. Oh, for sure. you don't know what they have, and it could just ruin your whole world. So there were many times where that was literally the longest part of the turn was like, which three cards? But uh, we actually got a system where we're like, you know what? Uh, which cards are would we give right now? We yeah. We put those away, and then we would play our cards, and then here here's the three cards. So... Because before that, we were like, oh, I don't want to give you any cards. Yeah. Really? I, I literally, oh. that's exactly, I would start my turn. All right, my turn, good. I'm looking at my card. My, I got, what, seven or six cards? I don't know, whatever in my hand. And the so first seven. Yeah. And, the, it, it, and this this is actually really important, too. So uh, in a two-player game, you have a hand of seven cards. So you have four to play and then three that you'll pass. Mm-hmm. Well, right, but it actually, and depending on your reserve, you could have up to nine too, and yep. in or a two play cards, right? Because you keep two back, and then you're going to get your three plus the four you draw. But like at the, what I would end up doing is at the very beginning of my turn, I would be like, okay, which of these three cards do am I going to give them? I make that decision up front, and then it helped me. But I also, I think 
So it is weird. And I'll, I'll be, I, I need to admit, I did not have an opportunity to play more than a two-player game. I've played with a couple different people, but I, I only ever was able to get a two-player game together. And so I, I feel like I'm not super qualified to speak on three or four-player games um, as, as Matt, Matt has played those. But I think um, the strategy... I don't know. I think that there could be some significant strategy, right? What cards I'm giving to that person on my right in a multiplayer game. And you tell me if this is the case, Matt, like I'm imagining that even around the table, people you like, you're always wanting to give the worst cards, but what cards you give could depend on their position throughout the table. Like how many attackers do they have and where are they? And are they about to win the game? Like, yeah, especially that if you count, if you're counting their tokens and they're at four, you got to do something. Yeah. Or you, you got to. Sorry. So one of the things, this is what I don't know if it would happen in a game. And Matt, maybe you can weigh in on this, but it, let's say I'm in a four player game and the person to my right is like way behind everyone else. Like they just had bad luck all game and somebody else is potentially, you know, on, on a pose. And I, like I could see giving them three attack cards, putting myself at risk of being attacked, but hoping that they're going to attack somebody else like to try to even the playing field a little bit. Like you're not going to win yeah. this game anyway. Let me give you three attack cards so that you can do some damage. Um, and then, oh. you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think this, they're also, that does introduce an element of like strategizing with your opponents, right? right. Like forming yep. alliances, talking to each other, trying to convince that one player that is behind, like, Hey, you got to get back in this. You should attack this player. Who's in the lead. If you attack them, we'll attack them too. Right. That, that kind of thing isn't like, it's not outlined in the rules that that's like a major element of the game, but it can be. I think it's so, encouraged. It's Warhammer. I mean, I'd be like, man, <laughs> sure, yeah. here, here's, here's three shillings. Well, <laughs> and to start, you got to take that guy out. That. You yeah, have you to. Have do that to because or you're going to lose too. If, yeah, if one player is clearly in the lead and they've got a bunch of fortifications and they've got a handful of siege tokens out, the, the players at the table have to address that right otherwise that player is going to win but here's where this game falls for me especially uh, uh, talking about the difference between a two-player game and a four-player game in a two-player game you have seven cards you might have one or two in your reserve and you might have the ability to draw one more by paying shillings which means you have at least four actions per turn at least you could have as many as like six Seven on like a once in a game perfect scenario, you might be able to play that many cards in your turn. Whereas in a four player game, you only have five cards in your hand, which means you're still passing three that without having cards in your reserve that are cards that you didn't play on previous rounds or cards that you paid for, you only have two actions per turn. And there's well, you're talking about like, oh, well, the first thing I'm going to do is look at the three cards I want to pass. You really don't have that option in a, in a four-player game because you only have two other cards that you're going to play, right? Yeah. Guaranteed on a turn, you only are going to play two cards. Yeah. If you're lucky, it might be more. And that, it for me, it never felt like you had, you were doing enough on a turn. You'd play these, you know, two or three actions pass to your right and the economy of, of shillings in the game is super tight. Everybody starts with three. 
The only way to get more is by playing the attacker defender cards that have earn or steal or playing locations. And in one of the games this we played, one player at the table never saw another location card. Or no, I think they had one. At the end of the game, they had their starting location and one other. Whereas in a two-player game, for example, I started with, I think, three location cards. I put them all out first turn which got me a bunch of shillings, I was able to buy two more cards and you feel like you can do things. Yeah. Uh, whereas in a four-player game, like I, I can't choose what three cards I'm going to pass because I, I have to play my two best cards. Otherwise, you know, if I'm keeping, if I'm passing three attackers so that they can attack another player, I'm stuck with a, a weak defender and a support card that doesn't do me any good in that moment. Well, you're, you're never going to win that way. Like you have right. to... There's a lot more to that passing that works and works really, really well at two players that, in my opinion, does not work at all in a four-player game. I imagine the the design of this is to make the turns go faster with larger player counts, right? So, like, you have less cards to play, your turn goes quicker, and it comes back around to you quicker. Did 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 that happen? Did it feel like your turns went a lot quicker in a four player? To some extent... Um, but there's definitely examples of games where having fast, having quick turns is a really good thing. In this case, I, I feel like trying to analyze what you have and what your best play is while still knowing that you have to pass those cards. It just, it didn't make for a really enjoyable experience, unfortunately for me or for anybody that I was playing with. So one thing you you mentioned too, and and I, I can see where you're coming from on that. Like it seems like I, again I haven't played the higher player count, so I can tell you, like if this was like I think about a convention, right? Assuming you had a space to play this, because one thing I will say, this is not like a like even at a two player, you need some space on the table to play this game. Um, you're you're laying cards out in a line. You're gonna have attackers and defenders and tokens. Um, so playing this kind of game, and you and your opponent both have your own line, and each line needs spaces for defenders on one side and attackers on the other. So even yeah. in a two-player game, you could think of that as six cards deep is the space you need at a bare minimum. Um, so yeah. I don't know that this is a game you're going to be playing on a convention floor. Um, I I think. I would compare it to like Magic the Gathering or really any other trading card game. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to, it doesn't take up that much space. Um, it is still just cards on the table. You do need to have uh, any amount that you would play for like Magic the Gathering, in my opinion, it would be sufficient to play this on as well. Okay. So, yeah. yeah and plus, I'm thinking if you're in a, like a square formation, I mean, with four players, I don't think they're going to have as many lands per player as you would in a two-player game. Yeah, because there were sense. points where what um, we just lance at one last game, we drew we drew lands like crazy. It was <laughs> land, land, land. <laughs> we yeah. had well, we had like a roll of like <laughs> ten, ten territories. It was just crazy on almost both sides. Yeah, Steve got uh, all the land the cards, four, but with the fourth player or four-player game. I can see there being three lands and not needing as many cards to focus on just taking one of their lands because then you get your token, move on, what other three cards, you know, because if you don't have a lot of lands, I mean, you could really focus on attacking. Yeah. You may, yeah. You may not get the shilling, but at least, you know, I don't need these defense cards. 
where's all the attack ones? I'm going to keep the attack ones and 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 take. I'm going to take this one, this one. You know, next turn we'll see we'll see what we get. Because um, unless you want some shillings, um, yeah, yeah. yeah even needed. even then, gaining the shillings seemed to be. I mean, it's tougher. It's tougher. And some of these lands you put out, like you're also putting yourself at risk, right? Are you putting out a land just to give your opponent free points? Um, And I think that's part of the strategy. Like I, I, we realized after our first game, after my first game with Steve, I, I remember when I taught my wife to play and we played a game, I said, be careful not to expand your lands too quickly. Cause if you do, I'm just going to take them all. And then, especially with no defenders. Yeah, yep. Like, if you have a defender, like I might not even just attack you because I don't know what that card is. It could be a one. I wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. To, this could to be the clarify, last one I attack. <laughs> when you you put down an attacker or a defender, you put them face down, so your your opponents are not going to know what that card is until a conflict is resolved. Mm-hmm. That's a key also, key mechanic of this game. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Because that, you're bluffing. You might be bluffing or you might be trying to draw someone in to attack you because you have a really powerful card and I'm only putting one down. Come on, attack me so I can destroy you. Um, so you mentioned one thing I want to say real quick as far as the locations go, the the shilling value on a card, the higher the shilling value, the lower the points. Yeah. So, for example, the busy coaching in is when you play it, you get three shillings, which is almost enough to buy another card, but it's only worth two points. Uh, whereas a uh, the Occam or Occam Monuments is worth five points, but only grants you one shilling. Yeah. So that's important to note too that when you start putting out those high point ones, you're definitely going to be a target, but you really don't get the benefit of drawing shillings from it because you're only going to get one. Yeah. True. True. But so you talk about, so you, so you can play multiple cards, right? If you're playing attackers, they have to either be the exact same card or they have to have, they have to say ally with a specific type, in which case you can play them together, even if they don't have the same name. And defender cards are similar, but they have to have different names. It's, it's like opposite. And it, it, is opposite. it takes it a take second a to get of, your head around. Yeah. So you talk about like playing multiple cards of, you know, to a location to like have a a strong defense. Well, that's again, significantly easier when your pool of cards on average in a two player game is going to be seven or eight. Whereas in a four player game, it's, you know, five or six. Right. So if you're trying to put together this combo, you know, I could put down a a card, attack card that allies with colleges magic in my reserve. I may not see another one for multiple turns. Whereas again, in the, in the lower player count, you have a much larger pool of cards. Therefore you're way more likely to be able to play to, to location. Remember in a four player game, you're playing at two cards, two to three cards per turn. The likelihood of you having both and then being able to spend both of those actions and not spend an action to like send an attacker over. It just, it limits you so much by, only having a few cards that you're able to play. Yeah. Yeah, definitely matching is with that many players would be extremely hard, but if you could, I mean, it would be like a almost a guaranteed victory because you'd have so many point val- value that they couldn't either, you know. Yeah. I also guess it right. or attack unless they had of course, <laughs> of course like Bloodthirsty Slayer. 
<laughs> then then they you know they can defeat one attacker card right from the get right from the, the get go. Yeah, Bloodthirsty um, Slayer is a support card that just when you play it, yeah. you just defeat one attacker, whatever it is. <laughs> it's and uh, it's a great uh, card. Oh, go ahead. It's a great card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So I want to. I, I guess I want to say I I'm curious. We haven't had the opportunity to play test with large like four player groups um, multiple times to the point where like I feel like. Uh, everybody has a clear understanding of rules and understands some of the subtleties and stuff. I wonder if the game would get better with four expert players as opposed to four novice players. Um, well, well, it's a whole new world because, like, like I was saying before, with two players, you just got to deal with the one person. Right. But with four players, I mean, you got three other people vying for territory, attacking lands that don't have no defenders defending lands that they have and just seeing the whole playing field of who's got how many tokens because the easiest points are to just attack lands that don't have right. any defenders because they put them down quick so, and then you know but but it, it just the complexity of you may actually have to negotiate or deal with the other players in order to assure that you win or that someone that's getting ahead does not yeah so just I think it could get very complex in that kind of that social scale of all that. Cause I know you have less cards, but also you might just need an attacker or two just to place it on cards to get your tokens, you know, cause they don't have enough cards to defend. Uh, so I, I could see it go either way. Um, but overall, I don't like how they're, I wish maybe the hands were just a slight bit, bit bigger with three to four players. Um, yeah. Yeah, or the, the alternative to that would be lower the cost to buy cards, right? Like, if buying another yeah. card was only two shillings, uh, it'd be that much more feasible to, like, have extra. Yeah, that's, that's, a, good, or, that's a good sub-rule. Right, or instead of being forced to pass three at the end of your turn, maybe you only pass two in a four-player game. That way you can yeah. still, like, it just thing. It, it felt like you were hamstrung from the beginning of the game to the very end in a four player trying to like set up these combos. And like I mentioned before in a yeah. two player game, I could put out a defender that is a weak defender, but it has a counter ability to a card that I pass. So I pass an attacker mm -hmm. card to my opponent and they pull it up and they're like, Oh, I can use this attacker to take over that, <laughs> that land down there. And they, they go to attack and I'm like, aha, it's countered. You know, I get a fortification or whatever. Or That's you don't super get smart play. play. <laughs> But you, the likelihood of setting that up where in a four-player game, let's say I put an attacker or a, that defender out, I pass those cards to another player, trying to like catch them in a trap. Well, the, the next player in turn order is like, okay, well, I'll just play this attacker here. They flip it over. It's weak, not the right card. To counter it, it goes away. They, are, you know, they then have control over that land. And that thing that I may have taken like multiple turns to try to set up is just ruined. Uh, and that's... Again, I, I feel like it's real obvious at this point how I feel about the this game at different player counts. And yeah. Steve, you've mentioned a couple times like the randomness of what you draw. Well, the first game of this I played with Janet, my wife, I drew into multiple cards. I in my starting hand was multiple high shilling value locations. That was seven cards. I was able to play two of them down which let me draw two cards. So now I still have essentially a seven card hand, but with two more lands down, I was able to defend two of them, launch an attack against Janet's, 
and then I passed her those three. And she made a good point that the three that I passed her were my three worst cards, which meant that her starting hand was four random cards and three awful cards. Oh, yeah. As opposed to me, who started the game, gets a full hand of seven random cards. There's no balancing for turn order whatsoever. And because of that, I feel like the, without question, the best way to play this game is two players and do best two out of three. Because that will help knock down that you start out lucky and have a huge advantage from the beginning when other players, if they, let's say, you know, in Janet's example, she doesn't have any starting locations or maybe one that only gives her a single point. And then I pass her three, two support cards that don't give her any strength and, you know, a weak defender. That is an awful starting hand compared to mine, which was enough to get two extra cards, get land out, get defenders out and launch an attack. Right. Nice. So. Good starting hand. Well, uh, uh, the the first two games that Lance and I played, and, and I'm just bringing this up because we're talking about locations. Um, we were like just going location crazy. I mean, we're, hey, got a location, chilling, <laughs> location, two shillings, location. We had so, so much land that we obviously didn't have enough defenders or attackers to even attack all of them at, at, at all. So... Um, the second game we played when we got Lance, we were Lance, we were frugal with Lance. Yeah. To like the end three, game. the three cards we handed back and forth to each other were almost always Lance. <laughs> almost the same ones. Yeah. <laughs> like back, back and forth. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we were so frugal and, um, yeah, definitely don't have all lands at the end game. Yeah. That, you that get was... that lucky. If your opponent gets the end game card, you're screwed. <laughs> Yeah, that was like six lands. I was losing Uh, handily, and then Steve was forced to play all the the lands, and so I just took them all. (laughs) I couldn't stop playing because that's the rule. If you if you can play, you can play. So I was playing lands. He was like, "Oh, attacker!" (laughs) Attacker. A little, little, you know, weak attacker is enough to take a five point land in the game. And I just saw my perfect plan, my empire, just like. I'm gonna lose. It was a close game. Still, it was. But so was Steve played very well so the entire much, game. But the end, lost, the yeah. end was just. It's classic Warhammer. It, Warhammer. It is worth. Yeah. <laughs> so my experience with Warhammer, like the miniatures game or the battle game, I've never played like traditional Warhammer. I have played 40k, and I wasn't a huge fan of that because it it's it felt so lucky that like if you were the first player you'd have this massive advantage and it it just i i appreciate when games understand that there may be an advantage to like player count or turn order or something and they do something to affect that and i feel like there there's a couple things they maybe could have done in this but but didn't it is well, worth noting, too, we keep talking about, sh- like, buying cards with shillings. Uh, you do have an option. One of the actions you can do on your turn is to discard one or two cards and get yeah. two shillings for each card you discard. But, again, I'm going to go back to the four-player game where if you are discarding two cards, that's effectively all you can play in your turn. So you're discarding two cards you don't want to draw a card that might be better. It just, again, it didn't, yeah. it didn't work for me. All right, well, let's do our right final card, thoughts, though. guys. I, we, let's, let's wrap this up. Let's do yep. some final thoughts. Um, what order do we want to do this in? Uh, 
Um, I'll just go first because you guys have more experience. Well, 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 Lance, you only did the two-player games too, but I figured we we could work it out from two-player to four-player with with like Matt at the end. Sounds good. Uh, that sounds good. So overall, um, I like the game. Um, we've already talked about you know I like the arts. I like. Uh, the theme of the cards, you know, so I, I won't say much more beyond on that. I, I love vying for power. Um, I'm actually hoping that in the future they may give us little bonus packs of cards. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. a few extra support cards, maybe more defenders, attackers. I'm not sure if you guys remember uh, Dungeon Roll. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have a huge expansion. They would give you like a booster pack of extra cards to play. Right. So I think I, that would be I, awesome. I want to interrupt you real quick, Steve, just to let you know uh, that this may not have any bearing ultimately on electric counts, but for the Doctor Who card game, they did release an expansion that added, and again, they're they're very similar, so the likelihood of them adding those cards to electric counts, I mean, it's definitely possible. But it, it adds more cards, but it also adds components to play with up to five players, which... I, I haven't looked in Whoa. close okay. enough to see like how that would affect gameplay, but um, they did have an expansion for the Doctor Who card game, which means you know a lot of that work is already done uh, as far as a potential future expansion for this one. So oh, that's I'm all. hoping for that, and I'm also hoping for maybe a, a few more mechanics, uh, maybe some adjusting rules. I do, Matt. I like your rule about the higher player games, two shillings to buy a card. That actually might solve a lot. Um, but uh, overall, um, rules, I love the game. The rules, you will need to read thoroughly. Yeah. As if you just get one rule wrong or, or you know, you're just viewing it wrong, it'll ruin your experience because the game won't, won't make sense. It, it, it'll just completely destroy your experience. So make sure you read every single rule thor- thoroughly. Um. But overall here, I've only played uh, two-player games of Electric Counts, and I enjoyed uh, my time the more that I played it. Um, the first one was just learning. The second one, I was starting to learn some tactics. We just didn't have time for more, but I'm sure it would have just gotten funner and funner as you know, as we played, and we kind of knew the rules more and more, and just the tactics of the cards and what we wanted to do. Um, there is a randomness to the game, which I like. Warhammer, right? <laughs> um but there also are tactics to be learned in the game as well that will benefit you. Um, so overall, just don't play the game once and have an opinion and try to play it two to three times because the more you learn, um, the faster it will go, the more fun you'll have. And uh, that pretty much wraps it up for me. I enjoyed the game. Um, I will be playing it uh, some more, so I'm just going to hone my tactics and... That is that great game. Yep. All right. So uh, for for my final thoughts here, um, I did have some things that I felt like um, were, were potential negatives. Um, the, the attack cards and defender cards having different mechanics, um, different ways that they work when you play them, different ways that they work when they fight each other, and who wins makes a big difference on stuff. It can be a little confusing. Um, to Steve's point, read the rules really well while you're playing those things out the first few times so that you know what exactly happens. Um, the theme, it's what I call a light Warhammer theme, right? I think the theme yeah. exists in that it's there. Um, it's, it's not 
like I said before, not necessarily that grim, dark, gritty, I'm moving giant armies in the Warhammer world feel, but um, it definitely does have that feel of the I'm maneuvering things as an Elector Count um, feel. So uh, it, it's there. The artwork is great. Um, you know, uh, the... Uh, the rules um, are are solid and short, though. Again, you need to read them carefully because they they are a little funky. To some things you get wrong can change the whole way the game works. Um, I do know that there that we're expecting an FAQ to come out on this. I don't know what's going to eventually be in that, but it might help a little. There's good strategy here. When you understand the game, there are good strategy points. Hidden attack and defense is huge. You can bluff attacks. You can bluff defense. Um, what cards you hand to your opponent. You can try to get sneaky like Matt does with the counter idea or um, things like that. It's not always about what are my three weakest cards. Sometimes you might want to give a card specifically to opponent because you want them to play it. So uh, there's some you know strategy in there. Um, outguessing your opponents, being careful not to expand too many location cards too quickly, but being you know knowing when to go full out so you can get the money and buy the cards and try to make as many plays as possible can be important as well. So um, and then even what you keep back in reserve, you might not play any actions and just keep a couple cards back because you're waiting for your opponent to do something that you can capitalize on. There is strategy in this game. Um, I would say that if you know nothing about Warhammer. Um, and why are you listening to our podcast? Probably, but if you know nothing about Warhammer, um, <laughs> this game is is a pretty good game. I would give it like you know maybe like a seven. It's a it's an interesting, fun game. Um, but if you like Warhammer, like I look at my Warhammer board game on my shelf, and unfortunately, throughout the past. I don't feel like we've gotten very many good ones. Very, very few. Um, this, I mean, if you're a Warhammer fan, this bumps to an 8 or a 9 for me. Um, probably an 8 or 8.5. Um, it's a fun, as, as long as you remember what it is. It's a fun, quick card game. It's not intended to be a big strategy game. It's not a war game. Um, it's, you know, it's a it's a quick, fun strategy game where you're playing an electric count. And that's well my thoughts. Matt? Yep. Yeah, I, th I think uh, I've kind of made my thoughts pretty clear um, on how I feel about it. I really enjoy this game at two-player. I've played it three times at two-player. Um, I would play it again at two-player. It would actually be uh, in my like regular rotation of two-player games because I think it works really well at two. Um, specifically, if you... It's fast enough, too. Even teaching is uh, to my wife, but... With the teach and the play, it was like maybe 20 minutes. I mean, you, you could play, especially as once you know the game, you could play a series of like best two out of three in under an hour easily. Um, and that is where I think this game would really shine. I've played it a couple times at four player. Um, I'm actually, I've not played it through player. I'm interested to try that because that I think would bridge that gap potentially pretty well considering you have a, a starting hand size of six cards instead of five or seven. Um, and there's less, obviously, that uh, you need to kind of worry about and plan for on the table. Um, but at four players, um, if for me and my game group, like we have a lot of games that we play, and for one to to for us to want to dig into a game and to play it five or six times or have it be something that we play, you know, every game night, it's got to land and land fast and that is not the case with this game uh i could probably talk my buddies into giving it another shot but it it 
I would probably be met with like some eye rolls if I'm being honest, because it, it really just didn't work for us when we played it at four. So at, at four players, I'd probably give this a three or a four. Um, at two players, I'd give it a solid seven. Uh, and that's moving forward, really, how I, I find myself wanting to play it. So uh, card art is beautiful. I feel like that's one thing that Cubicle 7 uh, in Warhammer has not let us down with, and I, I definitely appreciate that. Component quality is fine. The, the tokens, I'd prefer if they were a little bit easier to see from across the table. Um, it does bring into account one of our players is partially colorblind, and they had to mm -hmm. ask every single time that it came up, how, you know, how many tokens do you have out? Um, you know, how many, how many, you know, fortifications are easy oh, because no. the only time you put a fortification out is on your own card. Right. Um, but, but as tokens. far as the attacker's cards, you, yeah. you know, uh, and it's, it's so dark and so similar that it's, it was almost impossible to tell. That, that's an easy miss, but nowadays it's something game companies need to be aware of. And maybe Cubicle 7 just didn't think of that. Sure. Well, um, and it, the well, we'll, we'll definitely let them like, know. Maybe when they print the next versions, they can adjust yeah. for that. The colors that they use are like your standard primary colors are not primary, but blue, green, red, and white. Like they are, if, if you don't have an issue with your vision, it's not that difficult to really tell. But if you do like, uh, yeah, it's a, mm. it's an unfortunate thing, but, um, so anyways, that's, that's where I land on it. I think if I was going to give this an overall score, I'd probably give it a six. Um, but again, I, I, see myself playing this more at two players and I look forward to playing it more at two players. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you gentlemen. That, that was a great discussion. Um, uh, having said all of this, I know we've, we've seen like we've gone through and been super potentially critical of different things, all that, but we definitely want to tell you what we really think. Um, and having said all of that, we all still like the game. Um, and I can guarantee that this will be a game that's going with us to Gen Con and will be sitting on the table and likely get played. For yeah, sure. We we haven't had a chance to play this, the three of us. Yeah, and oh, that yeah. will that happen. That will happen. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 Treachery abound. That speaks to, <laughs> you know, playing a game multiple times with the same people or people that are excited about the game or that love Warhammer. It's going to give you a different feel. Yeah, so. absolutely. So. All right. Steve, call us out. All right. So intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and of course, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards, too. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right. This is Lance saying good night and beware of that Slayer card. It stings. <laughs> This is Steve saying goodnight, and remember, don't be that guy with all the lands at Endgame. <laughs> and this is Matt reminding you that even the best laid plans can be routed by the bloodthirsty Slayer. Why'd you have to take it from me, Lance? Oh, sorry! <laughs> Why'd you do it, man? This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. 
It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC. 